the morning sky You dragged me in, became the skin that keeps me warm at night All that you left me was a number on the back of my hand Hello and welcome back into the Most Accurate Podcast. Alongside me, as always, is John Paulson. I'm Anthony Stalter. John, of course, is the senior editor for 444.com. And, John, we're getting very close now to the start of the regular season as we're in mid-August in the second week of preseason. So it's an exciting time for fantasy owners, and a lot of them are drafting uh, as we speak. Things are certainly ramping up as evidenced by my podcast schedule the last few weeks between the bonus episodes of the podcast and uh, appearing on the Fantasy Pros podcast. I'm going to appear on the Rotoviz podcast uh, next week, I think. So it's it's definitely ramping up. Well, more John Paulson, the better. That's what yeah, I, I guess. Say. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Tell us about the music that brought us in, and we'll dive into Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, yeah, that's a song uh, called Hands. Uh, by Barnes Courtney, who is an English uh, rocker. It's off the Dull Drums EP, and there's a couple other really good songs on that uh, album, uh, Fire and Glitter and Gold. So uh, check it out. Okay, let's start off with Ezekiel Elliott. A lot of people are wondering, how does this affect uh, draft strategy? Uh, maybe you want to tackle from a keeper standpoint, what would you do for Elliott, and how, how far is he going to draft? This is what we know right now. Adam Schefter forecast that Elliott's appeal hearing is going to take place on August 29th. Let's assume that Elliott is still going to be suspended for the six games. How do you uh, approach Elliott from a redraft standpoint and also a keeper standpoint, John? Well, I think you you have to assume that he's going to be out the six games, and uh, if if it gets reduced... Uh, then, then it's a benefit to you if you drafted drafted him. I've asked this question on the bonus pods of everybody since the news broke, and uh, it just seems like uh, for the most part, people are content with him in the late second, mid second, late second to third round. I I think at that two three turn, there's a drop off uh, in talent at the pretty much across the board, unless you're talking quarterback and tight end, which you really don't want to draft that early if you can avoid it. Um, I think Elliott is a fine pick there, but you have to keep in mind as an owner that uh, you're going to be carrying him on your roster for six, seven weeks. Uh, so he's eating up a spot. So if you're in a league where you've only got four or five uh, bench spots, that's going to be really uh, tough to do. And uh, that's a negative, uh, negative for him. If you have a league where you have seven or eight, bench spots, then it's not too hard to, to keep them uh, on the roster while you kind of shuffle in in and out your running backs in the RB2 slot. So I would start to consider him in 12-team you know, PPR, uh, late second round. It sort of depends on who's available there at the different positions. What I did in the first round, um, if I have a, if I have Le'Veon Bell or uh, David Johnson, um, you know, you could you could potentially take uh, Elliott there with a 211 pick and then maybe uh, grab a receiver uh, at 302, um, be in pretty good shape uh, at those two positions. And then uh, later on in the draft, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's key, but it would help to have Darren McFadden, eighth, ninth round. His ADP uh, has been rising into the ninth round. Uh, by the way, uh, Ezekiel Elliott's ADP is about 18 to 20 right now in uh, MFL 10. So those are 12 team PPR. 
uh, format. So people are starting to pull the trigger on him in the middle of the second round. Um, the other option, I think, it, if you're trying to get by for the first few weeks of the season, is maybe do a, a grab Jaquiz Rogers. Uh, he's going to probably start for the first three weeks and get 20 or so touches there for the Buccaneers. Uh, you could even double up on that and grab Doug Martin uh, with some upside as well. So now you've got Elliot, Doug Martin, whoever you grab in the first round, if you have one, uh, and then to Chris Rogers. And maybe if Martin returns to an RB one type, you really, you're really stacked at, at running back and you can uh, maybe trade one of them uh, for a stud receiver down the line. So there's lots of options. I think it sort of depends on how far he slips. There's a certain level in that second round where I'm still going to continue to take uh, Devonta Freeman, Jordan Howard, uh, DeMarco Murray, uh, because I'm likely to get 15, 14, 15 games out of them. And I think that's better uh, than 10 games out of Ezekiel Elliott. But after those guys are gone, you start getting into the Lamar Millers, Isaiah Crowell's um, of the world. Then I think uh, Elliott uh, should be put ahead of them. The other news last week that it, we didn't have an opportunity to react to, John, is Sammy Watkins was traded from the Bills to the Rams. The Bills got a young corner in EJ, EJ Gaines plus multiple draft picks. The Rams certainly land their number one wide receiver and a legit one, not Tavon Austin, who's more of a gadget player. And Jordan Matthews was also traded from the Eagles to the Bills. So the Bills kind of fill that Sammy Watkins spot with Matthews, who's now hurt. He's dealing with a chest injury. And Sean McDermott, the head coach, says that he hopes that Jordan Matthews will return sooner than later. Let's start off with Sammy Watkins. Uh, for me, with Sammy Watkins going from Buffalo to L.A., you're talking about two run-heavy offenses. The quarterback situation's a downgrade going from Tyrod Taylor to um, Jared Goff. And then you got the injury factor going on with Sammy Watkins as well. So that's my take on Watkins. How about yours, John? Well, I don't know that the Rams are going to be run-heavy as much this year. I think they would. their best player on offense is probably Todd Gurley. Uh prior to the Sammy Watkins trade. Um, so I think they were planning on trying to get the running game going. Uh, Sean McVay uh, taking over there, I, I, I think, uh, might see an increase in pass attempts. I mean, the, the Redskins were fairly pass-happy uh, last year. So it's just a matter of whether or not Jerry Goff's up to the task. So uh, Sammy Watkins is might see more targets than he would have seen in Buffalo, but the quality of the targets are probably less uh, because I think Tyrod Taylor is – uh, significantly better right now than Jared Goff, but Jared Goff could take a big step forward. He was uh top pick for, you know, reason. And just because he had a really bad rookie year doesn't mean uh, that he's going to stink forever. Uh, so those are the couple things I'm watching there. Um, obviously, Robert Woods, Tavon Austin, you know, take a hit. Uh, Cooper Cup takes a hit because uh, you're, you're bringing in a guy who's going to get 120, 130 targets in Sammy Watkins. Uh, Buffalo, uh, Jordan Matthews is going to try to replace Watkins. He's not as good, uh, but it's it's so it's a downgrade for Tyrod Taylor, but maybe not a huge downgrade. He seems to uh, produce even if he doesn't have his top receiver in the lineup. And uh, I did downgrade him a little bit uh, in terms of his passing numbers, but uh, he's still a pretty good value there in the later rounds of of fantasy drafts. Um, I think the, the skill sets of the, the Buffalo receivers are. Interesting because they're all sort of similar. You've Anquan Bolden, Jordan Matthews, both kind of slot guys. And then Zay Jones uh, had Matt, Matt Harmon on the bonus pods. And he, he said that Zay Jones also profiles as a, a big slot receiver. So he's going to 
probably have to play outside. He does have physical tools to play outside, but he hasn't uh, produced on those routes so uh, as well in college. So um, it, it's a little different uh, receiving core now there without uh, Sammy Watkins being able to stretch the field. Uh, and then in Philly, uh, I know we're going to talk about Nelson Aguilar. We could just talk about him now. He's probably going to um, be the slot receiver, but I think the upgrade is for Zach Ertz. I think this takes the pressure off his targets with, with Matthews leaving uh, because it looked like Ertz might get squeezed a little bit with uh, Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith uh, coming into Philly. So I don't think Aguilar is going to command nearly as much as what uh, Jordan Matthews did. And I think some of those freed up targets are going to go back to Ertz and he's, he's back to being a nice, a nice pick in the, in the eighth round. It's a little bit of a downgrade for Carson Wetz, uh, you know, losing his slot receiver who he has a pretty good rapport with. But uh, other than that, I think that's, I think that's how things are uh, shaping up with these two trades. I, I loved Aguilar coming out of USC, John. I, I think it's interesting that he's going to see more time in the slot. I guess he spent 22% of the time in the slot last year. He had four targets per game. Um, but with you mentioning Zach Ertz and also, you know, Alshon Jeffrey signing, I'm kind of intrigued by Aguilar, but certainly not in the sense that I was, you know, I'm going to invest a, even a late round pick in Aguilar. But it's he's an interesting player to kind of keep an eye on. Uh, let's move to Miami where the Dolphins got just crushing news of Ryan Tannehill being injured. They, they of course, pick up Jay Cutler. I, I know this happened like two weeks ago, but John and I haven't had an opportunity to talk. Um, what do you think of Jay Cutler being in Miami? He knows the system with Adam Gase being his former OC. What does this do to the skill position players in, in Miami? And what do you think about Cutler in general? <laughs> uh, I know you don't thoughts, like him, but from a, yeah, from a fantasy my, perspective. <laughs> my, my general thoughts on Jay Cutler is that he doesn't really want to play this year. I, I thought it was very interesting that he, he was kind of – in his press conference, he was saying that uh, he wasn't really sure he wanted to come back, but his wife talked him into it. I, th- I thought that's exactly, <laughs> as a Dolphin fan, that's exactly what you want to hear from your starting quarterback, that he's all in <laughs> for the season. Um, anyway, uh, from a talent standpoint, I think he and uh, Tannehill are you know, pretty similar. Uh, I, I looked at their uh, numbers uh, under Gase and they pretty much posted similar numbers. So I think, you know, if Cutler comes in and learns the offense quickly and gets us, builds a rapport with, uh, the new, uh, his new receiving core, things could sort of, um, be about the same as to what we were projecting for Tannehill and the Miami offense, uh, passing offense, uh, beforehand, um, before the injury. But, uh, Cutler has a tendency to lock on to one guy. So we don't know who that guy is going to be. It could be Jarvis Landry. It could be Devante Parker. Um, I doubt it'll be Kenny Stills. Uh, uh, we've been looking at Julius Thomas as a sleeper at tight end, and I think that's the one interesting thing that I could really glean from Jay Cutler's uh, stint with Adam Gase in Chicago is that the tight end was was really involved. They had two of them, uh, Martellus Bennett and Zach Miller. They both missed a, a couple few games with uh, injury, but Martellus uh, finished with 53 uh, catches for 439 yards and three touchdowns. Zach Miller had 34 catches for 439 yards. It's the exact same yardage, by the way, and five touchdowns. So, you know, combined that's 88 or 87 catches for over 800 yards and eight touchdowns. So um, this offense does have a tendency to feature the tight end, especially in the red zone. And I think that bodes well for Julius Thomas. And, you know, in the past, Cutler has sort of gravitated towards the big receiver and that could bode well for Devontae Parker, but I'm certainly not uh, – you know, running out and trying to get Devontae Parker in too many leagues. What do you think about the situation in Oakland? Marshawn Lynch is going to start, obviously. 
But DeAndre Washington started for the Raiders in their preseason opener last Saturday. He rushed five times for 16 yards. He's ahead of Jalen Richard on the field, according to a San Francisco Chronicle report. But Jalen Richard is listed ahead of Washington on the depth chart. If you were looking to maybe grab one of the Raiders' backup running backs later on because you took Marshawn Lynch, John, who do you think is going to emerge as the backup to, to Lynch, Washington or Richard? Well, I don't even think that you need to have Lynch on the roster in order to grab uh, DeAndre Washington. I think he's a great uh, attrition play in the 14th, 15th round because he's just lasting a really long time uh, due to this un- uh, this lack of clarity between him and uh, Richard. I-, I do think that if if Lynch were to go down, there would be a kind of a timeshare. But I think Washington would get the the bulk of the the carries, and I was pretty encouraged after reading uh, Joe Holka's uh, rushing expectation on the these two players that he, he thought that if, if something happened to Lynch, that Washington could grab the job and not look back. And that, that could turn into a, a 15 to 17 touch uh, workload. Um, I think that it's more likely that Healy he'll see 10 to 12 and then Richard will see eight to 10 type of a thing. If, if, if Lynch does go down, but there's always the possibility that you end up with an RB one or low end RB two or high end RB two. If, if something happened to Lynch and, and uh, the reason I'm, concerned about Lynch is the age. I just grabbed my first share of him in the late fourth round in a, in a draft where I hadn't drafted a running back. And um, I'm, I'm just concerned about the age and his, his ability to stay, stay upright, but it does sound like they're going to limit his workload a little bit, which is also a concern for Lynch. But if you are going to grab Lynch, then it makes sense to grab Washington as well in the, in the final rounds to sort of uh, to button up that uh, running game because the Oakland uh, running game is real strong with that, that great offensive line. With John Brown nursing a quad strain for the past three weeks, Bruce Arians noted that Jerron Brown is the Cardinals' number two wide receiver. What do you make of this? Uh, I don't really buy it unless he's making a big step forward from um, from last season. If you look at the six games that they both played last year, John Brown outsnapped uh, Jaron Brown uh, in every single game. So I think if John Brown can get healthy, uh, which is a big if. Uh, he he was looking really good in OTAs. They said that Smokey was back, and and you know the, the beat writers were loving that John Brown's back, but he's got this quad injury now. Uh, he's back at practice, but he's not 100. He's talking about how he recovers at a different pace than other people, and he sounded like he was uh, maybe taking a little bit of umbrage at the fact that he's uh, not on the field. Uh, but I think you know they have time for this quad to heal, and if they take care of him, then John Brown should be fine to start the season. And I think. If he's healthy, then he's going to be the number two receiver there in Arizona. All right, one more note here before we get into some wide receiver sleepers and values and and look at your targets article, John. Uh, Mike Lennon is still the favorite to start week one against the Falcons, but Mitch Trubisky played incredibly well in the the preseason, at least as well as you can play in a preseason opener. Um, Do you think that Trubisky winds up starting for Glennon and who's – even though the Bears have a limited skill position players that you want to target in fantasy, who do you think is is best for some of their wide receivers? Yeah, I don't know if if it's fair to judge Mike Glennon on a an eight uh, pass attempt performance against the league's best defense, uh, Denver Broncos. I'm not sure who they had uh, available, the Broncos, but you know they're they're a really good defense. And then Trubisky came in and kind of lit it up against the backups, which isn't really fair to, to Glennon, but. The Bears know what they've got in these two guys based on what they've seen in practice. And, um, I th- I'm sure Glennon will get another chance here to, to start and see how he does. I, mean, I think he's a capable, uh, placeholder for this 
position until Trubisky's ready to go. Um, if this continues though, and he keeps, you know, throwing pick sixes and just looking dreadful, uh, and, and Trubisky continues to light it up in games, then they might just turn the, turn the page pretty quickly and give the, give the ball to, to Trubisky. So, um, this is really only important in, uh, two quarterback leagues, I guess, when you're looking for maybe a third <laughs> quarterback as your backup. Uh, you know, I, I, I think the Bears are going to be in a position this year where they're, they're, they're under 500 and there's a certain point where they're like, okay, we need to get the rookie. Um, we're going to need to get, we're out of the playoff hunt. We need to get the rookie some, some snaps and, you know, maybe by week uh, eight, he's the starter if, if not before that. All right, John, before we get to your sleepers and values article, I want to tell you about draft. If you love fantasy football, then you need to try these new best ball leagues on our new favorite app. It's called draft. It's a season long league, just like you play with your friends, but with no management, you just set it and forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. Draft takes care of all the hard work for you. You don't even have to set your lineup. In fact, your best score gets automatically selected every week. You can draft a team anytime you want. Leagues start every couple of minutes, so you can join one right now. And the best part, there are no salary caps, and you can play for cold, hard cash. Leagues start from just $3, so there's pretty much a league for for everyone. It's easy to start playing draft today. Just go to playdraft.com backslash 4 for 4. That's playdraft.com, the number 4, F-O-R, number 4, and you can join a game in minutes. All new players get free entry into a best ball draft when you make your first deposit, but you have to use our promo code 4 for 4. That's right. Play for real money, games for free, just for using our promo code, the number 4, F-O-R, number 4. Let's dive into that Sleepers, Values, and Targets article, John, that you wrote, starting off with a guy that's kind of interesting uh, in Pierre, Pierre Garçon. He he knows Kyle Shanahan. They work together in Washington. The QB situation isn't great there with Brian Hoyer, but Pierre Garçon stands to, to see a lot of targets in San Francisco's offense. Can you talk to us about him? Uh, certainly, and this is, you know, regular listeners – are very aware of my affinity for Pierre Garçon in the sixth round, but you know, maybe the, the more casual listener is tuning in now trying to get ready for his draft and hasn't heard my spiel about him, but uh, you touched on it. He's, he's rejoining uh, Kyle Shanahan. The, the duo worked together in 2013 in Washington. Uh, Garçon caught 113 passes for 1,346 yards and five touchdowns. It was number 11 PPR wide receiver that year. And yes, he's four years older, but, uh, and you know, I, I was looking at Matt Harmon's reception perception data and he, Carson really fared well as a route runner last year. Uh, so he still got it. I think, uh, Brian Hoyer is, is serviceable at quarterback. And, uh, this is a team that's going to probably have to throw the ball a little bit more than they, they want to as they face a, a negative game stri- uh, script. So, um, I really like Garcon in the sixth round. I think he's vastly, uh, being vastly underdrafted, uh, you know, he's going like late sixth, early seventh in, in the industry or MFL 10 PPR drafts. I think if you're in a uh, home and home or friends and family, like a home league, uh, you could probably get him in the seventh or eighth round because I don't think a lot of people are running out to, you know, trying to get Pierre Garcon after uh, he finished uh, in the, I think, 30th last year. Um, so, or no, he was 22nd last year and then 31st of the year before. And I'm not sure, too sure that owners are running out to, to go get that. So, um, I like him. I think I have him on just about every team uh, that I've drafted, and I think he's just a fabulous uh, pick there, given the volume that he's going to see in the sixth round. 
Let's talk about Tyrell Williams. You also like him as a potential value play. He finished in the top 15 last year, which was a surprise. A lot went right for him. Stevie Johnson tore his knee in camp. Keenan Allen also joined him in the, on the IR, I believe, after week one. Travis Benjamin had a knee scope. He was kind of banged up. So Tyrell Williams emerged, and, and he was great. Where where would you target Tyrell Williams based on the fact that the Chargers also drafted Mike um, Williams in the first round this year? Yeah, the fact that they drafted Williams is good for Tyrell Williams because it has kept his ADP at a reasonable level. I think if if Mike Williams were not there, we might be looking at Tyrell Williams as more of a fifth, sixth rounder, uh, given what he did. The the return of Keenan Allen is also a concern for him in terms of total workload. But you know, Allen is not the most durable guy either. So you know, if he gets injured, now all of a sudden you've got uh, a wide receiver one type. I mean, Williams finished as the number twelve receiver in standard number 18 and PPR, uh, you know, taking over as the number one receiver there. Uh, you, you have a good quarterback in Phillip rivers. Uh, the team should, the offense should bounce back. The team should bounce back. And I think in the seventh, eighth round where you can get him as maybe your wide receiver four or wide receiver three, if you're you know doing pretty well at running back. Um, I really like, I really like that pick. I'm not really worried about uh, Mike Williams, given his back injury and how far he is behind uh, schedule, uh, I don't, I'm not worried about Mike Williams coming in and taking Tyrell Williams' spot. Tyrell Williams was too good last year. He also fared very well in the Matt Harmon uh, reception perception data. If you want more on Tyrell Williams, we did talk about him in that podcast at length. Um, so I, I feel real good about him in the seventh and especially the eighth round. All right, before we move on to some tight end sleepers and values, let's talk about Mike Williams. Last year he caught 72 passes, got over the 1,000-yard mark, caught four touchdowns. He finished in the top 25. Do you like him again this year in Baltimore? Yeah, you said Mike Williams. Williams was on the mind. It's actually Mike Wallace. Mike Wallace, excuse figure, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Sorry. People, people figure that out, I'm sure, uh, halfway through. Uh, yeah, they lost 400 targets, the Ravens. Uh, Steve Smith's gone. Uh, Dennis Pitt is gone. Uh, Kyle Juszczyk is gone. Uh, so there's all these targets available. They did sign Jeremy Macklin. And it's interesting to see that Macklin is going ahead of Wallace in fantasy drafts. And it's not really – all that close. Wallace is going like the 10th round. What Macklin's going like seventh, eighth round. Um, and I don't think that the disparity there is, is justified. Uh, Wallace has finished in the top 25 in PPR, uh, six of the last seven seasons. Uh, and the only year he didn't was that one year. If you remember, he was with the Vikings, uh, with North Turner, I believe. And they, he was supposed to use Wallace's speed, uh, but, uh, didn't. Uh, it was 2015 Vikings. Um, and now Wallace is the 51st receiver off the board and I just don't get it. Uh, I think he's a, a great value there. Uh, I would take him around early in the ninth uh, and have him as my wide receiver four, wide receiver five, and, and be able to plug him in uh, just about any week. Let's move on to your tight ends, sleepers, values, and targets. Now this is from the seventh to the mid-tenth. That's the kind of rounds you're, you're looking at here, John. And we'll, we'll talk about Mike Wallace's former teammate in Kyle Rudolph. Uh, Zimmer, Mike Zimmer, said that Kyle Rudolph has improved his blocking this offseason. So what? What does he mean from a what, – what can he do from a fantasy perspective? Yeah, I just would uh, mention that I posted these uh, four articles. We're, we're just talking about wide receiver and tight end today, but there's also a quarterback running back uh, article up on uh, uh, on uh, 444.com, so check them out. I was working like a madman trying to get these up uh, before this week because I'm going to be publishing the, my draft day strategy, uh, hopefully on Friday of this week. So – um, back to Kyle Rudolph, uh, you know, he was the number two tight end last year, uh, you know, 
really outperformed uh, what he had done previously in his career. But uh, as uh, Jeff Ratcliffe mentioned yesterday on the, the bonus pod, I'm really plugging these bonus pods. Uh, he he said that the that Rudolph's age, he's right in that he's turning 28 or 29. He's right in that uh, that range where where tight ends peak in their in their performance, and um, so so Rudolph is looking like a nice pick again. Nothing's really changed there. Uh, Stefan Diggs uh, is the number one receiver, but um, Rudolph is probably uh, the number two, uh, and they still have Sam Bradford there, who likes to throw the ball really short. He had the lowest. Uh, uh, average depth of target uh, last year i think it was 6.6 yards per target um so that that really bodes well for for rudolph continuing to to see a be, see a, a big volume in this game uh, in this passing game and he's obviously a big body who's a, a force in the red zone as well so uh, i really like him in the seventh eighth round we mentioned zach Ertz earlier and with matthews now gone in buffalo do you think that Ertz could see a lot more targets than he did a, a year ago well, I think his targets might stay about the same, but he, you know, finished number six last year. So that's, that's lower than where he's being drafted now. Uh, so that indicates he might be a good value. They were really hurting for pass catchers last year, though. And they added Alshon Jeffrey and Torrey Smith, as I mentioned earlier, but they did lose Jordan Matthews. And I think that helps that gets Ertz back in the conversation, especially if Carson Wentz could take a step forward as a, uh, in his efficiency and as a passer. Um, Ertz finished 23rd as a rookie, 13th as a sophomore, uh, 9th as, uh, in his third year. And then finally he was sixth last year. Um, I kind of look at him as a poor man's Travis Kelsey because he doesn't, uh, do as much in the red zone as you would like to see him do, uh, being the, the big body and, um, usually tight ends do better in the red zone. Uh, Kelsey's sort of in the same boat where he doesn't catch many touchdowns. Uh, but Ertz is targeted so much, just like Kelsey is, uh, that he, he generally, uh, produces and he does especially well, uh, in the second half of the season. So if he gets off to another slow start and starts to hit the waiver wire, uh, then it's time to pick him up. How about Jack Doyle in Indianapolis? Yeah, Doyle, uh, would be, if I'm just gonna, if I know that I can get a guy in a certain round, I think I would pick Doyle, um, in the ninth or tenth round, preferably the tenth, obviously, because it's a less of a <laughs> value of a pick than the ninth round. But I think Doyle with a healthy Andrew Luck, which is a bit of a question mark right now, uh, really has a, a great chance to, to finish in the top 10, top eight at his position. He, um, had 59 catches for 584 yards and five touchdowns last year. And in week seven, when Dwayne Allen was out, uh, Doyle had nine catches for 78 yards and a touchdown against the, against the Titans. Um, Andrew Luck is well known for, for targeting the, uh, tight end in the red zone. About one third of his pass attempts are to the tight end position. Um, so the concern I think is a little bit with Eric Swoop, but he's, he just underwent a meniscus knee injury, uh, surgery. Uh, so he's out for four to six weeks, I believe that's going to put him back a little bit. I think that opens up Doyle. Um, obviously keep an eye on Andrew Luck's shoulder. It sounds like he might be, uh, ready for week one, but if he's not, then week two, week three, it's going to be shortly thereafter. And I think, I think you can trust Doyle, uh, in the lineup with the backup quarterback. And then finally, John, I noted that you wanted to talk about, uh, ideal league settings. So what would be ideal league settings for you? I get this question quite a bit on Twitter and I don't have, you know, often have the time to answer it. So I thought I'd try to answer it here, but I haven't done a study on this exact setup, but I'm interested to hear if, if, if listeners decide to go with it, what was their experience with it? Because I do like uh Superflex that, that, uh, puts more value on the quarterback position. Uh, that's a, a one quarterback starter and then, 
uh, a flex uh, position that is quarterback eligible and typically owners will want to start two quarterbacks if possible. I'd also go point per first down for all first downs, uh, uh, rushing, receiving, and passing. And then to boost the tight end position a little bit, I would start two tight ends. I think there's always it's always interesting to be uh, trying to figure out who that second tight end is for you. And there's enough guys out there where you can go out there and get somebody off the waiver wire for, and get, you know, five to 10 points and maybe, maybe more if he catches a touchdown. Uh, I like the idea of two running backs with uh, three receivers and then adding another uh, one to two flexes in, in addition to the super flex. Uh, I think I'd get rid of the kicker position, but I would, I would keep the defensive uh, team uh, spot because it is kind of fun to uh, stream defenses against bad quarterbacks. And, and if you get a bunch of uh, players and owners doing that, uh, it get, can get really competitive on the waiver wire trying to pick up uh, whoever's uh, facing uh, Brock Osweiler. <laughs> uh, great stuff as always today, John. You can follow John on Twitter at 444 underscore John. You can check out all his great work at 444.com, including grabbing his rankings if you haven't already done so. And there's so much great content coming out by 444.com, including uh, some excellent work uh, from a DFS standpoint as well from TJ Hernandez and Chris Raybon. So you want to make sure that you check out 444.com regularly because these guys are pumping out uh, content all the time. And a preseason rankings and preseason profiles were all done, at least wrote, written yesterday. And I think, John, the, the, the editing process is almost completed as well. So if you're if you're looking for little snapshots on what we think um, from a profile standpoint, make sure you check out the individual player profiles as well. That's it. That's all we have for the time for today. I'm Anthony Stalter for John Paulson. We'll see you next time on the 444.com's The Most Accurate Podcast. Yeah.